Coming up on today's show, supporting Ukrainian refugees, the audience continues to step up and help out. We'll tell you what the push is right now. A great idea. It's a transitional space for homeless patients after hospital discharge to recover. And we will speak with Alberta's own Josh Kutrick, who is now an astronaut. Going to have a conversation with uh, a friend of the show here, somebody we've talked to a few times. But before I bring him on, I just want to say thank you um, once again to the, um, the the great audience. I mean, we had Mike Thomas on, Mike from Edmonton, or Mike in Edmonton at gmail.com. Uh, he's been doing all the work with uh, the Ukrainian refugees, and uh, he got a hold of me this weekend and said, hey, listen, uh, we put out a call last time I was on the air for, for guys with trucks to come and help out, and uh, you did overwhelmed him, which is just, which is just fantastic. So let's get Mike on here and find out how things are going. Cause I know the, the need doesn't stop. And, uh, you know, Mike, there was the situation that took place this weekend. There was a rally, uh, in Calgary asking Canadians to be more involved in what's going on. I mean, the situation hasn't gotten any better there. What's happening here? Well, what's happening here is uh, needs are increasing and people are getting a little bit exhausted, you know. So it's uh, it's one of those things where everybody's real in and, and involved for a couple of months and everything kind of tapers and cycles after that. So we've been really struggling with the middle of winter and the holiday season and it being so cold and new arrivals coming in and increasing, more arrivals coming in more and more and we got to keep up, man. Um, and uh, so we, I've asked for donations a few times. They need furniture. They need household goods. We're reorganizing volunteers and adding more people to our teams. And it's just been so much. And I was like, good God, I don't know what we can do, but I've got people offering me stuff that people need and I can't get it anywhere. And I can't run around with my truck and trailer while I'm organizing nationally now. And it's nuts. <laughs> so I called you and I asked for help and I'm like, look, I need men with trucks. And my email blew up. Wow. It's awesome. So Alberta's amazing. You, you come to Alberta, you ask for men with trucks and Good. Yeah, we got those. Lord. Oh, <laughs> so we are uh, always looking for more. If you're a man with a truck or anybody you can help carry some furniture, please, by all means, Mike at Edmonton at gmail.com. If you have furniture to donate as well, Mike at Edmonton at gmail.com. But thanks to you guys, I had to set up a whole new tracking system. Um, I have a Ukrainian volunteer uh, who's working with us, um, Tatiana Maestranko. She's a newcomer, and um, her husband is working, and her kids are in school, and she's set up a little bit now, and she wants to give back. So she's helping run this. She's a logistic ex- logistics expert for national grocery and warehouse chains in Ukraine. Okay. So perfect job for her helping me out with this, and... and uh, and now we got Calgary started. There's a donation warehouse down there that we're going to translate this system to. And it's just been great. So we're pairing people now with people with trucks to bring uh, furniture to our donation centers. And now also directly with Ukrainians who, who need it delivered. And we're going to start using people to help bring them home with their furniture because a lot of them are just getting started with no vehicles. Okay, yeah, for and sure. A couple of companies got a hold of us. Um, it's like, hey, how can we help? I've got six trucks and eight men ready to go. And uh, I'm like, oh. So, um, you know, you overwhelm a lot of people with that kind of <laughs> kindness. So, yeah, so now we've got a place. It's not We're not scrambling one-to-one so much. We've got a system. We've got everything built. I spent the whole week catching up, and it's all because of you guys helping. So if you want to help a volunteer in any way, I mean, host families are desperately needed. January and February, it's only come up higher. So, 
Anybody wants to do anything, it's mikeinedmonton at gmail.com. If you've got furniture to donate, they desperately need a lot of things. And uh, if you've got truck and time to donate, uh, we've got some labor help. Sometimes the drivers can help. Um, we're not wasting things, you know, like we're finally able to start putting A and B together. And I knew you would. Hey, Mike, look, <laughs> let's just break it down a little bit here. Okay, you're, you're looking for host families, as always. That's probably the biggest ask. Uh, give us the details on that. If you're thinking, well, I don't know, I got an extra room, or I, 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 what's the time commitment? What's the space commitment? What's the financial commitment? What's the details? Well, we've got such a good system now, all documented, and volunteers to help you. So it's not like you're alone taking care of everything. So basically, we need a clean, safe home for uh, anywhere from one to three or four people, whatever family you can t- afford to feed and take in and um, and uh, are willing to help. Uh, we provide access to every step that they have to take when they arrive. And, you know, we'd love you to help talk with them, learn a little bit, of, help them with a little bit of the English and uh, show them life in Canada and, you know, feed them and get them to some appointments. Um, but we have people to help with, uh, you know, like child seats and documents and all that stuff, teach everything you need. And all of it's online through our Facebook group I can link people into. So it's about a month to two months commitment um, at this point. It used to be a little more. Some of these families are a little better organized coming in, and some of them are, you know, you, you know, you got four people come in with one backpack between them, and they need more help. And that just breaks your heart, believe me. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but uh, but there's all levels, and we pair the right people up together, and we've got support networks. So it's really a lovely experience. Our hosts, um, several of whom have come from your show, um, tell us that they love it. They're on their fifth family or sixth family. Wow. Um, because once these ones are out, they're ready to go again, and there's more people coming. <laughs> now, Mike, um, is this just Edmonton and Calgary, or is this, hey, if, I, if I'm listening right now and I'm in Fort McLeod or High Prairie, I can give you a call, too? Well, it's really rough in the smallest distant areas because in the beginning you need so many services, yeah. um, and, and, and it's been a challenge. And, and I mean, in emergency situations, we can do that, but we try to stick into the main hub areas, sure. Edmonton, Calgary, Red Deer, and Edmonton, Calgary areas with the surrounding, you know, St. Albert, Sherwood Park, Devon, you know, all that. Yep, yep. Um, and if you're in a surrounding area, you know, a little bit of extra time and help to drive people around is needed, but we do have volunteers to help with that. We've got lovely people, some some um, grandmas who are helping with childcare and driving kids to school. I mean, it's just been unreal. So if they want to help with that, Mike and Edmonton at gmail.com as well. We'll put you right in the system. Um, if there's donations of other kinds, I'll direct you where you need to go. If there's if you've got truck and or trailer and you want to haul furniture or go to and from, you'll meet wonderful people. Um, so get in touch with me again. And if you've got furniture to donate, we got people who's downsizing, people who someone in their family has passed and they have a house full of furniture. We got people who have extra couches in the basement that are in good condition. We've got always a need for cribs and beds and dressers and microwaves. You would not believe the demand for microwaves as people move into their first place, sure. right? Because, yeah. You know, anything, everything and everything. And you guys have helped. I can't even, every time I open my email box, I want to cry. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know what, that's just fantastic. I, and again, thank you so much to the audience. couple questions on the text line um, that you haven't mentioned. Um, this listener says, please, we have a ton of toys. I'd love to see end up in the refugees' hands. Uh, I'll deliver them. Tell me where. Is that something that you're looking for? 
yeah, they can email me right now. The, the, we have a free store for that that's reopening. They're just moving location. They'll be open up in a week or two here. So um, clothing, toys, uh, stuff like that, uh, they need to be sorted and everything. So it's a lot right now. But, yes, um, toys, winter stuff, um, especially boots and coats and, uh, and toys, yeah, uh, just hang on to it for a little bit. But reach out to me, and I will put you in touch with the uh, – free store that we have running okay. as well and they get and this is also operated by the ukrainian newcomers um with our uh, our assistance and they just started a business to create some jobs down there they're running a kitchen um and cooking ukrainian food and selling it uh through the website so there's all that stuff going on there like we're creating opportunities and jobs for them and you know you would not believe the quality of these people. No matter what level they are coming in, they don't care. They want to get out and work. In, and 75 or 80% of them are employed within five to six weeks. Wow. Amazing. So, I mean, and we get them started right, and they're, uh, they're off I mean, and running. This is, this is the next crop of new Canadians that you're just desperate to see do well. And after what's been happening, God, do they ever deserve it? No kidding. You're absolutely right. Uh, another one from a listener. What about office desks and chairs? Do you need some help setting up an office, Mike? Uh, I wish we had more space for an office. Uh, we do need office <laughs> desks and chairs, uh, occasionally, especially for students. People are looking for computer desks. Okay. Part of furniture donations. Yep. Um, so, yes, we absolutely want those as well. And, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, if anybody's got a little volunteer time and they want to just go to the warehouse and work for four hours or something on a Saturday or a Sunday or two hours on a Thursday evening, we need people to help move stuff around. You don't have to speak Ukrainian. There's other people there who do. Um, so there's lots of room for that if you just want to go meet people and help them and show them what's good and you know it's uh, it's a great place um, okay uh, last one I'm going to let you go and it's the one that I always like to wrap up on here uh, and, it, and this listener says it really well I love what Mike's doing I am concerned however that we're so dependent on volunteers like Mike to bear the burden of this. Immigration should fund this stuff instead of all the waste by the feds. Uh, okay, I mean, that's the yeah. question I have. Is the government getting any better, Mike? I mean, you're doing no. new work here in Haven. Is the government catching up? No, I mean, they've taken some steps forward, and the provincial government has been better than other levels, uh, in Alberta anyway. And um, But there's so much more, you know, like we, we beg and scream, and, uh, and they open up a, a limited number of hotel rooms for free emergency um, set up for like a week or two when, when people arrive with nothing unexpectedly. Um, but there's a limited number of spaces when they could just dedicate the hotel to it, you know? Right, yeah. Um, they can always do, they, it's always a half measure, and there's money there for it, but it always seems to go somewhere else. And the federal government hasn't done what they would usually do for refugees, because they're not refugees, so it's always a little bit. So, you know, this is why host families are so important. We're doing all the heavy lifting. The organizations are now just starting to help, you know, yep. the settlement agencies. But we had to figure it all out and then give it to the settlement agencies, and now they've got their funding and they're ramping up. So Crazy. it's gotten a little a little better there, uh, but you know it's 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 always been this way. You yeah. know, every generation something happens, and Canadian people lead the charge. They right? step up, yeah. By we led by people though. like you. I guess, yeah. You got to do it. Yeah. Hey, Mike, awesome work as always. I got a million people here asking for your email, so I'm going to give it to them. Prepare yourself. It's Mike in Edmonton at gmail.com. People asking about websites, contact info, that's what it is. Mike in Edmonton uh-huh. at gmail.com and it, just establish contact with Mike and you'll direct him in the right areas, right? Yes, sir. Thank you. Beautiful. Mike, good stuff. Thanks for the update. We'll do this again real soon. You bet. Bye now. That is Mike in Edmonton.
at gmail.com. Alberta has become the first province in Canada to trial a program that, like I say, once you hear it seems so painfully obvious uh, in its benefit to the patients and, and the healthcare system and the community at large. You wonder why we weren't doing this a long time ago. In essence, as I understand it, it's, it's a space, a place for homeless Albertans to recover after they've been discharged from hospital. I believe it's that simple. Let's find out for sure. We're going to chat with Louis Francis Cuddy, an emergency physician at Edmonton's Royal Alexander Hospital and one of the people involved in this pilot project. Uh, Dr. Francis Cuddy, thank you for joining us once again. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Okay, so this Bridge Healing Transition Program, that's the name of it. Um, uh, tell us about it. Uh, just obviously it's meant to, to bridge a bit of a gap. That's why it's called the Bridge Healing Pro- Program. Yeah, so uh, the problem is huge. There's, you know, the equivalent population of Jasper, Banff, and Canmore will visit an emergency department uh, in Alberta and then leave homeless. So it's it's about 25,000 uh, folks or, or visits a year. The Royal Alexander Hospital bears the brunt of it, uh, about 8,200 visits by patients that are experiencing homelessness for a variety of reasons. And so, you know, by the time a person has to make the decision, I need to go to emergency, mm-hmm. they have to, you know, cross the security guards and the triage nurse and wait in a waiting room for hours, um, you know that they're at a pretty low point in their life. And what an ideal opportunity to intervene right then and there. And instead of discharging them to a shelter or back on the streets, say to them, are you willing to try and get your life back together again? And if the person says yes, then what you do is you immediately bring them to a place that's designed specifically to let them land, you know, have a little bit of rest and get their life back on track again so that they can either find permanent housing or get reemployed or get connected with a community support that'll meet their needs. And you're absolutely right when you said this is intuitive. Like, why didn't we do this? The reason we didn't do it is it's very hard to do. I've been working on this with others for four years. And uh, if it wasn't for the grace of, um, you know, Dr. John Cal, the administrator, stepping up and saying, well, this is a great idea. Let's work with our uh, senior executives and uh, look at it. And so it was through the efforts of John Cal that brought his senior team together and AHS being, you know, the largest integrated healthcare delivery model in Canada said this is the right thing to do and they did it. So kudos go to Dr. Cal and AHS for stepping up and our community partner Jasper Place Wellness for having the model that we could uh, test out. Um, now, how does it work? Is it is it following surgery? Is it following any hospital admission? What's the criteria? Is there criteria? Yeah, so somebody shows up in emergency right now and uh, meets two criteria. They're experiencing homelessness and they're willing to go. Um, and it's obviously if they're safe enough to be discharged, then, you know, they're going to be able to go to bridge healing on 100th Avenue, there's three beautiful buildings that are nearing completion. We'll have 12 beds within the next week or so, and then another 24 to follow. And they can go there free of charge. And uh, the program in Cree is called the Siminakochi, which means to try again. And they're given the opportunity to 
get their life back on track. And for you and I, that may sound simple, but for someone that doesn't have ID mm-hmm. or may have chronic medical conditions or may have, you know, mental issues or may have uh, substance abuse issues, uh, this is a great opportunity to, you know, help the most vulnerable members of our society and uh, give them a new opportunity to get their life back on track. So it's a great news story, like you said. It, it sure is. And I mean, obviously, we can see the benefit to the patient. That, that That's exceedingly obvious. But I, I imagine there's also spin-off benefits for all of us, uh, the community in general. Let's start with healthcare. I imagine I'm not given a transition space, a safe place to recover for up to a month. They end up back in the healthcare system, right? Yeah, not only that, but for, you know, my colleagues and I that are working in Emerge, it's morally distressing, and, and I'll tell you the truth. I was pretty close to being burnt out this winter. Uh, it just breaks my heart and the heart of all the nurses and doctors and, you know, everybody else that works in emergency, our social workers, to not be able to help these folks when, when they need our help the most. You know, they come into a system that provides incredible care and then to be discharged back into the streets, that's so archaic. It's so... You know, uh, it's the most cruel thing that we do to our patients. And so, uh, as I mentioned, AHS standing behind this will set a new standard of care. And, uh, you know, the rest of the country will have to live up to the new way of doing things. And hopefully we'll be able to expand into Grand Prairie, Mm -hmm. Fort McMurray and Calgary and Red Deer. And uh, if some patient, for example, in Edmonton uh, shows up in Emerge Homeless and is willing to get their life back on track, and they're originally from Lethbridge, and we have a, a bed in Lethbridge and a bridge healing unit in Lethbridge, then let's repatriate them back to their community. Sure. And for a lot of our Indigenous communities, um, it'd be a great opportunity to work with various nations and uh, try and help some of these Indigenous folks that, that are homeless uh, to get back to their community as well. So, yeah, the community stepped up and, uh, you know, Teresa Spinelli has said that she wants to get involved as well. And, you know, a lot of real good community leaders are saying, hey, how can I get involved? So I'm glad you're doing the story and keeping it alive. I think it's just such a great story, Doc. I really and truly do. And I, what's the length of the pilot and what, what, you know, in terms of expanding this and, like you say, scaling it up? How long is this pilot project going to go? And what's the process of sort of examining if it's done what we want it to do? Right. Well, Jasper Place Wellness has a wealth of experience running shelters and helping folks that are marginalized and vulnerable. And, uh, you know, I know it's a gut feeling, but they've been doing this for a long time and they've been very successful doing it. So uh, I predict what's going to happen is as soon as we open those beds, they're going to be filled immediately because the need is so great. And um, I think what the province is going to do is step up. And the premier has said, you know, let's make this successful for every Albertan. And so I think the province will step up and open as many of these beds as possible. Because, quite frankly, it's the most cost-effective way to do it. Because we can do it for $80 a day versus, you know, 1200 to 1500 in a hospital. So it, it's, it's the most inexpensive, humane way of saying to our brothers and sisters in need, hey, listen, we're stepping up and we're going to help you out. It makes so much sense. Uh, Dr. Francis Scotty, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. We'll get an update on this down the road. Okay. Bye-bye now. Excellent. Thank you. That is Dr. Louis Francis Scotty, who is an emergency physician at Edmonton for a very long time at Edmonton's Royal Alec Hospital, also involved in this pilot project. He's had a number of different roles. It's a long way from a cattle farm east of Edmonton to outer space, but... That just might be the journey our next guest completes, hopefully sometime soon. I really hope so. 
Um, Josh Kutrick is a Canadian astronaut. He grew up, grew up just east of the city of Edmonton, near Fort Saskatchewan, I think. But Sarah says uh, he was in the Two Hills area for a while, too. So um, definitely a local guy. Um, and now we're waiting to see what comes next. But let's get into it. We're going to chat with Josh now, an astronaut with the Canadian Space Agency. Josh, thanks for being here. I appreciate your time. Hey, good afternoon. And uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm sure you've answered this question a million times, but but let's just start. I mean, have you always wanted to be an astronaut? Has that always been on the radar? Has that always been the plan? Yeah, it, I, well, I wouldn't say it's always been the plan, but it's always been something I wanted to do. That's for sure. Since I was, you know, just a kid, I can remember wanting to do it. I think I was probably shy about that when I was young, because of course, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. And it's takes a lifetime of work and study, but it also takes a fair amount of luck, I would say. And so I never really wanted to define success one way or the other on it, but but I've certainly always been fascinated with space travel and yes, as a you know, as a kid and ever since I've wanted to do it. So I feel very lucky to, to be here today. Um yeah, as you mentioned, you'll becoming an astronaut is something that happens you know, actually quite some time after you've already accomplished a number of absolutely remarkable things in your life. I mean, you haven't been an astronaut all that long, relatively speaking. It, it's sort of the latest in a long career, right? Yeah, that's true. It, it's definitely a lifelong pursuit, I would say. Um, and you're right. I, I'm still very much considered a new astronaut. I was selected in 2017. I live and work here in Houston, of course, now. Um but in terms of the, the wider astronaut core, we're still the new guys. And some of our some of our class, some of that group from 2017 has flown. Um, and the rest of us are getting ready to hopefully soon. Uh, but yeah, very much very much the new folks in the class still. And it it points to that you know that idea that doing a job like this is something that uh, really does take a lifetime. It takes uh, people who love to learn, love to explore, are curious. Uh, and love to spend an entire life doing it. And your path to get there, uh, aviation, right? Tons of time in aviation, including with the Canadian military. Yeah, that's true. And I back right up to, you know, at the beginning, I, I was born in Fort Saskatchewan, but I grew up mostly on a on a farm east of there. So by two hills, I went to, to school in two hills. Um, and I work, I, you know, I live on a farm, but I, I, I always had this passion for space travel, for science, um, I got I got bit by the flying bug very young. That became a passion of mine, and I sort of used that along the way. So I I, I did end up flying a lot. I studied mechanical engineering, then I went into uh, flying for the military. Um, was a fighter pilot for a while. Went back to school. I uh, did a number of of master's degrees. Became a test pilot, uh, and I was working as an experimental test pilot when I was selected in 2017. That's the that's the short story. Um, test pilot, explain that to me. When, when we hear that, and we've, you know, I mean, we've always heard that term, test pilot. What exactly does that mean? What, what are you testing? What's that job like? Yeah, to me, the job of a test pilot is to sort of straddle two different worlds. And those worlds are operational flying, which is something that came first to me. So this is the idea of, of being the one who, who flies these machines, high-performance, highly complicated systems. Um, but on the other side, as a test pilot, you also have to live in the academic world, the engineering world, the design world. And so you kind of make your 
living between those two worlds, between the operators and the, between the, the engineers and the, the science that goes into making some of these machines work. Um, for me, I did most of my test pilot work on the F-18, which is a plane that, of course, has been around for a little bit now. Uh, but, we, you know, it's a plane that's always in flux. And so for us, we were... We were designing, innovating, engineering uh, new systems, new weapons, navigation systems, new flight control systems, and putting those on the airplane. And when we do that, we really change fundamentally how the airplane flies. Um, the F-18 of, of today is nothing like the F-18 of the 1990s. It's a, it's a completely different animal. Um, and it's a test pilot's job to, to sort of prove those technologies out, um, to find the errors, to find the cliffs and the bugs, and then go back with the engineering team uh, and be a part of the solution trying to fix it uh, so that we can fly it again and, and eventually, of course, try to certify it. Amazing, yeah. So you did that, and then the Canadian Space Agency calling uh, came calling, and as you say, one of just two new recruits in 2017, more than 5,000 who applied. Really, really tough competition. Um, just... Walk us through that. That must have been, like you say, you've wanted this since your child. It must have been the thrill of a lifetime. It was. I, I, I feel grateful more than anything to, to have been chosen. I was chosen in 2017 with Jetty Sidey Gibbons after about a year-long selection process. Selection is an adventure. I've had the, the fortune or misfortune, depending on your perspective, of doing it twice. I did it in 2009 and 10, uh, and I was not hired. I, I went right to the very end, but I was then asked to, you know, go back to my life, and I did, and I was quite disappointed, and I, I tried to forget about space, but I wasn't able to, and so <laughs> then in 2016, uh, when they recruited again, I had to apply, and I, I went through the whole thing again. It's about a year of testing, lots of travel, you're evaluated um, constantly in very stressful situations that are designed to see how you work with others, how you work under stress. Um, and you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where every day you, you go back to the hotel at night and you don't, you don't feel good about yourself. You feel like you failed miserably and like you're, you're certainly going home. Uh, but you just got to kind of keep your head down and keep going and, and you never know. Um, so what was life like after you finally did get hired in 2017, you moved to Houston, right? And you're still there. I mean, what's it, what's that like to get sort of onboarded as a new astronaut? Yeah, it's it's very exciting and stuff. You know, in 2017, changed very quickly for for me and my family. We moved to Houston uh, very rapidly, and I started training. So, to become a, a NASA certified astronaut uh, for the Canadian Space Agency uh, takes about two and a half years of basic training. And so we just you know, study. It's like going back to school. Um, you're going to learn everything from other languages, Russian to the the technical details of the International Space Station and orbital mechanics and survival and flying. And and there's just a a ton of stuff, as you can imagine, to learn. Um, Well, once you graduate from that, you're you're basically qualified, but you're still not really qualified to do anything. So the training continues. um, But what also happens is that you start to work. You start to do technical jobs for NASA that are fulfilled by astronauts here. And so for about the last two years, I've been doing a lot of uh, technical operational engineering in some cases kind of work um, while also continuing to train and and the next phase will be to go into to mission specific training um, and train specifically for for what we're going to do during Canada's next couple of missions. Yeah tell us about those missions what do you got your eye on what are you waiting for what would you like to see? 
Well, Canada has pretty exciting time for, for anyone in Canada, I'd say, interested in space. We have two major human spaceflight programs, uh, both with missions coming up in, in a, a little close to basically two years. So we have uh, the International Space Station. We'll be sending a Canadian back there. Um, my best guess would be early 25. Uh, this is long-duration exploration where we, we go there for six or seven months um, doing science, spacewalking. Uh, all kinds of kinds of exciting work, but that really trying to prove that humans can live in that uh, dangerous environment of outer space for long, long periods, months at a time. Um, so we do have a mission there in 2025, I would guess. Uh, and of course, the other big program that we're involved with is the return to the moon. So we just right. uh, completed the Artemis One mission, which was an uncrewed test flight of, of that vehicle. And with Artemis II scheduled at the end of 2024, uh, four humans will be climbing into it to go back to the moon. Uh, there'll be three American. One of them will be from Canada. And, uh, you know, that still gives me goosebumps to think about. I think it's just <laughs> awesome for our little country. I mean, would that? I guess if you're, if you're an astronaut, the opportunity to go back to the moon, be on the moon, that's got to be like the ultimate goal, is it, Josh? I think it is It is something I would love to see Canada do. Yeah. I, I think that to talk about the bigger picture for a minute, this is important. I think our our future prosperity depends on it in all these different ways. And so I'm, I'm happy to see that happening. Uh, you know, Artemis II itself, it's in a couple of years. We're going we're gonna to have to announce that crew member soon, and we're going to have to start training specifically for it. Um, it's, it's a very complicated the thing to think about which one of us will fly that and and which one will fly the others and then you know the missions that follow we also have a second trip to the moon uh probably near the end of the decade and then another trip to iss as well so there's no shortage of work to go around it's a uh, it's a complicated equation a complicated set of factors and we don't we don't know right now who's going to do which one but we will soon it's just fascinating. You know, you mentioned that it's so important, Josh, and it's such important work. And that's always the question that gets asked about this is, why are we doing this? We could spend this money to help. Why do you think it's important? Yeah, I mean, that that's a, that is the most important question. It is, yeah. I'm glad people ask it. Um, you know, there's space, I, I would say from my own view here, it's not really about what we do in space it's we use space to do things here on earth so so we you know with all this work we do in outer space with all the innovating we've done on the international space station we find solutions we find medical solutions that make life better for people here on earth we develop new technologies there's spin-off technologies Um, we create jobs jobs of the future we create a new space economy so there's all these practical reasons to do it Um, but i think to, to back up even wider than that for a minute uh, and speak sort of fundamentally it's this idea that progress and advancement and innovation getting better uh, that's not something we should take for granted there's no rule that says that has to happen that we keep moving on an upwards trajectory we need something to force it we need like a a forcing function a challenge that makes us go out as a nation and, and and advance and be on the forefront of innovation and technology. And for Canada, uh, space has done a really good job at that over the last few decades, and I'm hopeful that it will continue. Yeah, absolutely, Josh. And uh, we're delighted that you could take some time today to join us, and uh, we'll follow your journey along, and hopefully uh, before long you're up in space. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much.
Thanks for the time. It's uh, wonderful to speak to you guys in Edmonton today. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. That is Josh Kutrick, who is an astronaut with the Canadian Space Agency, born and raised right here in the province of Alberta. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.